Welcome to Specs Speak Science, the scientific podcast hosted by a rotating cast of chemists and industry experts. From highlighting the hidden chemistry in our everyday lives to discussing relevant industry topics, Specs Speak Science looks to deliver informative content to the scientific community. With that, please enjoy this installment of Specs Speak Science. Hi, welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about something that we are all familiar with, our senses. The senses are the way human beings and other organisms perceive their world. And there are five primary senses, including sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. These five primary senses are a series of reactions to physical, chemical, and biological stimulus in our environment. And these create a reaction and lead to our sense of perception. Um, so if you have a sense of smell, it's because there is some sort of interaction going on and it produces a reaction that gives you the perception of an odor. Of these five senses, taste and smell are based primarily on chemoreception. Now chemoreception is when there are specialized sensory cells and they convert a chemical substance to a signal like a neurotransmitter or an action potential in a nerve cell. And there are two types of chemoreceptors. There are distance chemoreceptors and direct chemoreceptors. Distance chemoreceptors are present in our olfactory system or our sense of smell. And they allow for the detection of chemicals in a vapor or in a gaseous state. This allows you to detect odors. And uh, it was thought to be a, uh, an, uh, an evolutionary development so that we could detect uh, dangerous odors, and to detect pheromones. So our olfactory system is based on chemoreception. Your, the odorant chemicals enter your nose, your nasal passage. The mucus in your nose acts like a matrix. It interacts with the olfactory chemicals or the smells. It diffuses in the, in the mucous membranes, and it will then activate the olfactory receptors. These receptors are directly connected to the human forebrain. So these, go, these senses go directly to your brain. And what we smell is a whole group or a whole wide range of chemicals. A lot of them are what we consider to be volatile chemicals. They're fairly small molecular weights. Uh, they evaporate very quickly. These are from plants. So when you walk by a rose bush and you smell the scent of roses, it's these volatile chemicals that you're smelling. And most fragrances are things like terpenes or terpenoids, and these are derivatives of, of isoprene. Some of the most common scents that we have are very common terpenes. You have pine, the pine smell, that's pinene. Or you have clove smell. If you smell cloves at Christmas, that's eugenol. If you have a cedar closet and you like that cedar smell, well, that's uh, carine. If you like a lavender smell, well, that's linalool. And of course, we all know about things like lemon and citrus. Those are limonene. That's the, the terpene limonene. So there are a lot of different scents which contribute to our perception of what a scent or a smell is. Then you have direct chemoreceptors. Those are present in your gustatory system or your taste system. These chemical compounds need a liquid matrix to interact. So that's why you have saliva in your mouth. So you taste by detecting chemicals in your food and your environment. And this, again, environmentally and, and over time may have helped organisms to distinguish between poisonous and edible plants. 
In human beings, the tongue is the most important sensory organ for taste, but there are chemoreceptors all over your mouth. Your salivary glands produce your saliva. This chemical cocktail of water, electrolytes, cells, and enzymes circulate around the, the mouth. It becomes the aqueous matrix for food to interact with the taste buds, and it helps the digestion of starches and fats. Without the assistance of saliva, the taste buds would actually not be able to chemically interact with the flavors, and you wouldn't get uh, a broad spectrum of flavors. This uh, interaction could be when somebody has a very dry mouth, they don't taste things as well, or when they have uh, you know, some sort of problem where their, their uh, salivary glands are not operating properly, that the tastes can be muted. Now, the chemoreceptors of the tongue are primary, primarily a kind called G-couple uh, protein receptors and ion channels. So the GCPRs, or the G-coupled protein receptors, they bind to ligands and begin a, a signal action potential within the brain. And that allows us to differentiate between three of the five basic tastes. These will give us the sweet, the bitter, and the umami, or the savory. Now, it's the interaction of these proteins that allow us to taste these things. But it also, uh, interaction of these proteins changes how we perceive something to taste. Now, there is a debate called the cilantro debate. Everybody knows somebody who just does not like the taste of cilantro. They think it just is awful. So this is a very common flavoring, a very common spice all over the world. And if you like cilantro, the scent and the taste taste citrusy, and they taste grassy, and it's a very, very nice taste. Now, for most people, it's just a very pleasant flavor, but you'll get a small percentage of people who say that it kind of tastes like bug spray or soap. That's because cilantro has a lot of active compounds called aldehydes, and the aldehydes tend to be components of soap. They are the components of bug sprays. There are three primary aldehydes, decanal, two decanal, and two undecanal. And when you crush the cilantro, it allows these aldehydes to kind of change in form. Now, if you have a genetic component, and uh, specifically an OR6A2 receptor, you can't process those unsaturated aldehydes. So it gives this really bad taste. You can't, you don't have the genetics, you don't have the proteins to process the, the taste of these aldehydes, and then therefore you don't like cilantro and it tastes soapy. Now the taste of sour and salty are perceived through ion channels, which are pores in protein membranes. Um, so if you have a, a membrane, you have a membrane protein, there are a little, there's a little pore. This will allow ions to pass back and forth through the membranes. This is where you get salts and sours and, and the negative and positive ions. These chemoreceptors are located in your taste buds around the mouth and on the tongue. And human beings have a, over 2,000 taste buds on their tongue grouped into little projections called papillae. The average taste bud has anywhere from 150 uh, to 150 receptors and they select for the different tastes. So you have receptors that select for sweet, you have selectors that uh, select for salty. And these taste buds are replaced about once every two weeks. Now, if you actually took a look at your tongue in the mirror, your sweet taste bud receptors are on the very tip of your tongue, that very first section of your tongue. And then just slightly behind it on either side, there are your salty receptors. 
Now, if you really like sour foods, you're tasting that along either edge or either side of your tongue. Well, down the center is the savory or the umami taste. And all the way towards the back of the tongue is where you'll taste bitter. So this is where you get the different uh, components, the different taste buds grouped together for specific flavors. Now, each group is then triggered by a different set of, of chemicals. Sweet tastes are triggered by compounds such as carbohydrates and carbonyls. So they act on that front section of the tongue and, and these compounds give you that sweet taste. Salty tastes are triggered by alkali metals and ion channels in the, just behind the sweet areas. These chemical reactions are transformed into neural impulses with the, which then travel along the various facial and major nerves to the brain and then are interpreters and signals and they create a perception of taste. The impulses are sent to the somatic sensory and the frontal cortex of the brain and then are perceived as a conscious understanding of what a taste is. While impulses sent to the amygdala and the hypothalamus give you a emotional complex. So that will trigger that emotional memory of what a taste is, or the, the memory of peppermint at Christmas, or the memory of summer and lemons. So this will give you the memory of the taste. These perceptions of taste, along with the mouthfeel or how it actually feels in your mouth, is it crunchy, is it smooth, does it feel fatty or coating? This will all come together along with your olfactory system, your sense of smell, and this will give you an impression of a flavor. So this is how we understand flavor or we perceive flavor. So sweet, like I said, are mostly carbohydrates and carbonyls. Salts are alkali metals. Acids are sour, so that's why you like lemons can be sour. Bitter are things like phenols and katsikins. So if you have a, a wine that's a, a little bit bitter, it's those katsikins and those phenols that are doing it. Umami, those are your amino acids. Those are the nucleotides, caffeine, things like that that give you your savory. Now chemicals which produce flavor or fragrance contain lots of functional groups. When uh, you activate those taste receptors, you perceive taste. So this is how you get your familiar flavors. Some flavors, though, are more of a result of physical conditions rather than taste. For example, if you have some menthol or some mint, you're actually not activating the taste buds as much as you're activating these cold sensors on the trigeminal nerve rather than your taste buds. So this is more of a physical response that creates a, a, an idea of taste. Another reaction like this where we perceive flavor is if you taste something hot or spicy. This, like in capsaicin or piperine and black pepper, acts directly on your nerve cell and they produce a pain response. So this is not really a taste blood flavor, it's more of a creating of a pain response. So for capsaicin, it acts directly on your nerve and it overstimulates this reaction. It's something called a substance P and it's a neuropeptide. It has a new neurotransmitter and it's a neuromodulator. It's released by your sensory nerves in your brain and your spinal column. And it's associated with inflammatory and pain responses. So when you have something like um, capsaicin applied externally, like if you're using some sort of gel or some sort of pain gel, what happens is you apply it and it causes depletion of this substance P. So this substance P is triggered over and over and over again. And eventually it basically fatigues the nerve. It limits the action of the nerve fibers and it overwhelms those throbbing nerve fibers and reduces your pain. Now menthol and camphor have a counter irritant effect. It gives you a cool perception opposite to inflammation. And it 
blocks these fibers that, that feel that pain response. So you get a cooling flavor. Now this particular action is called chemosynthesis. And chemical compounds activate tissues other than your taste buds. So like I said, it can create pain, touch, thermal perception. You activate your trigeminal nerve for cold. You, your TRPM8 ion channels activate on nerve cells. And then you'll get coolness from mints, camphor, cooling gels. That's why these things are very popular for, for pain reduction. And of course, if you like hot, spicy flavors, you're reacting to pain expressing your TRPV1 and TRPA1 receptors. This produces pain on your tongue, in your mouth, in your eyes. That's why if you get capsaicin in your eyes on that mucous membrane, it, it triggers this pain response because it's triggering these nerve reactions. And of course, uh, there is a whole cult of the hot sauce, and we are going to talk about the cult of the hot sauce and hot peppers and hot sauces in our next podcast. So I invite you to, to join us, and we'll learn all about the chemistry of hot sauce and what that means to be a part of the cult of the hot sauce. I hope you've enjoyed our talk about flavor and fragrance, and we'll join us again next time. Thanks a lot. SpecSpeak Science is presented by Spec Certiprep, a leading manufacturer of certified reference materials and calibration standards for analytical spectroscopy and chromatography. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast and subscribing for future installments. Similar content such as application notes, research studies, webinars, and more can be found at specsertiprep.com. Thank you for listening to Spec Speak Science, and we look forward to bringing you future episodes.